I would like to read something before uh, the children leave for their class. Pastor Rathbun has influenced our church. Many of you uh, went to uh, classes with him, and he has pastored Fifth Street Baptist Church for over 40 years, I believe, and passed away on Christmas Day. And before he passed away, he wrote something to be read at his, um, at his funeral, and I'd like to read that for you uh, before, before the kids are dismissed for, for their class. He is our closest ally in the kingdom of God here at Fifth Street Baptist is a mile away from us, and uh, inner city uh, church that is on Fifth Street right off of Bridge Street, and uh, would like to uh, read what he wrote. I didn't get to the funeral, and I, I doubt many of you did either, um, but he was a giant, uh, giant of a man uh, spiritually, and I appreciate uh, his ministry. He says, finally, I wish to declare firmly and irrevocably that late in the summer of 1955, I placed my faith for the eternal saving and keeping of my soul in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. I sought to live for his honor and glory since that time, and I had the privilege of shepherding his flock at the Fifth Street Baptist Church of Lowell for several decades. The Lord has now called me home to be with him, which is far better, Philippians 1.23. I have been promoted from earth to heaven, and I have never been as happy as I am at this moment, this very moment. I shall see again those of you who have also trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. I would urge you and implore any of you who have not done so to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord while there is yet time. Jesus alone died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins. He shed his blood that you might be spared the judgment to come. The wrath of God poured out on those who fail to trust his Son as Savior and Lord. Don't let this happen to you. Repent of your sin and trust in the one who died for your sins and rose bodily from the grave the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him and him alone as your Savior and Lord. Robert Paul Rathbun. And uh, miss him as a friend. Uh, he reached out to me when I first came here, and I got together with him a couple times, and I appreciate his ministry, and um, we'll see him again one day. Those who are four to six years old, you can go to your class at this time. And the rest of us are going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Kids choir, sorry, all those four to 11. Dad, you got to send us too. I was counting the babies to be born and those who are here in the nursery and those in four to six-year-old class. We have close to 20 children, or will have 20 children this year that are six years old and younger in our church. That is a very good thing, and we are excited uh, to minister uh, to families and to help, uh, to help you. And uh, with that many children come a lot of responsibility here at church. You'll see uh, Kids for Truth on Wednesday night is a hopping place, very uh, active, and just 
watch going down the hall because they don't turn game time off in their minds and they just keep running. And so um, just keep that in mind. And even Sunday, they think this room is their room uh, because it's the playroom, uh, our gym, uh, so to speak. And so uh, they may uh, still be uh, thinking that we can play on Sundays as well. So it's a great... Uh, a great a thing that God has done is doing in our church to bring us families and to allow us to, to minister to them. It's also very exciting to be Wednesday morning to see many of you uh, here on Wednesday morning. If you're unable to drive or uh, would love to, uh, to gather with God's people midweek, Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock, uh, we have averaged probably between 20 and 25 uh, every Wednesday. Uh, Pastor Ty loves... Uh, interacting and praying and leading that group. And he does the same thing uh, that he teaches on Wednesday night, so you don't miss, um, you don't have to come to both, obviously. Uh, but if you would like to join them, and uh, once a month, we tried last month to go out uh, to Shaw's for lunch, and that was, a, that was a lot of fun. And so I heard great comments. I keep hearing comments, and so that's great. So we are going to wrap up 1 Corinthians uh, today. And uh, looking at using our body for the body. You may be, if you watch the news, you're hearing about one thing, uh, Russia and Ukraine. And uh, we have a few in our church that have been on mission trips uh, to Ukraine and know people there. Uh, we have in our, in our school uh, several families from Ukraine and their extended family is still there. And so we have some connections uh, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're praying, and I hope you would pray, as was mentioned uh, earlier, uh, that you would pray for the believers in Ukraine, that they would share the gospel, and people would be open to the gospel, and even pray for Vladimir Putin, that he would trust Christ and stop trusting his own understanding. And so uh, let's pray for uh, all those uh, involved, and uh, look for opportunities around you. As people watch the news, they get fearful. Even though it's halfway around the world, it still can grip people's hearts with fear. And fear is a wonderful thing pre-salvation. Uh, often uh, when people are fearful, they're open to listening to the truth. And so uh, let's use these opportunities that God has given us uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. And of course, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. We have one life, Jim Elliott said, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You have one body. You don't get another body. Some people believe in you coming back as something else. And you may have previously believed that you came back from something else, that you were maybe a, a skunk or a rat or something, and you uh, were reincarnated as something better as a human. Uh, but that's not what we see in Scripture uh, we uh, didn't pre-exist before uh, we were born, and our souls aren't up there waiting to come to earth as some other, um, other religions teach us. We have one body, and we are told to use this body for one reason, for the body of Christ. And this is what we'll see in a summary of 1 Corinthians 9 to, to 16, um, what the Corinthians really needed to hear because they struggled. We still need 1 Corinthians because we all need teaching, rebuke, correction, and instruction so that our bodies build Grace Bible in a way 
that the world sees God's glory. Okay, if this doesn't work, guys, I'm going to have you bring me the clicker to change the slides. And uh, so far, it's not keeping up with me. So um, I'll try one more time. Was it on the right thing and I changed it? Did you guys change it for me? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of changing of slides today, so you guys... Uh, if you just want to watch me carefully, I'll give you the nod to change. All right. All right, so we need 1 Corinthians because we need teaching, rebuke, correction, and instruction. This is from 1 Timothy 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So all Scripture is going to help us to be what we lack in understanding for teaching. At times when we're doing what we shouldn't be doing, we need a rebuke. And then we need to be corrected. And then how do we stay doing the right thing is instruction so that our bodies build Grace Bible. And I say Grace Bible because this is our church. This is your church. This is where your body is seated right now. And you're seated here because God chose for you to be born in this generation, at this time, in this location. He's moved you here. He's brought you here. You're close enough to be this, your local church, and you're to use your body, physical body, to build this body up. And it's not just about us. It's to build this body up so that the world sees God and God's glory when they look at how we function as a church. See, if you were to look at the Corinthian church and to understand what they were going through in their day, they weren't a very good picture of God's glory to the Corinthian culture. They were divisive. They were... Uh, um, the rich people taking advantage of the poor in, in chapter 11, and they weren't, um, they weren't able very well to show the glory of God. They tolerated sin, we saw last week. And now this week, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9 to 16, and going to give us this theme. Since we want God to be glorified on earth, we want Him to use His of these bodies for his body. Do you want God to be glorified on earth? I can't give you that as a life goal, but that needs to be one of your primary life goals is I want God to be glorified on earth as he is in heaven. This is what we pray in the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know how God's will is done in heaven? Perfectly, without delay. And when it comes to on earth, there is a lot of delay. There's a lot, as we heard in Sunday school from 1 Samuel, a lot of confusion and blasphemy and people that want to do their own thing and don't give God glory, want to do their own uh, and want to give themselves glory. And what often we see in the news is people are trying to get their own glory or the glory of a country that used to be. And that's why there's war. That's why there's fighting. That's why there's protests. That's why... Uh, there is a lot of confusion and anger 
in, in our country, in our culture, and in, in around the world. But we have a different goal than the world has. Our goal is we want God to be glorified here. And he's going to glorify himself, as he says in the pages of the New Testament, through the local church. The local church is how he brings glory to himself as we gather as God's people on a regular basis and as we submit to one another and as we love one another, God gets glory because we're showing the world what God is like. We're using these bodies as God meant for them to be used before the fall. And after our redemption, God is restoring these bodies and the purpose of these bodies so that we are no longer living for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. In chapter 9, we started last week in chapter 8, which talks about giving up your rights for one another. And privately, if something that you do, something you eat or drink is going to offend someone, then you're willing to lay that aside. Uh, And even you know that uh, idols don't exist. Idolatry isn't really a thing that uh, it doesn't matter uh, what we uh, do with idols. Uh, We're going to um, just worship God without idols. So I want you guys to show the whole next slide, just page through all of that. This is a review from these are chapters. Uh, Chapters 1 through 4, only boasting in Jesus. Chapter 2 of uh, 1 Corinthians, rely on God and his power. Uh, Chapter 3, only boast in our Christ. This is all how we use our body to glorify God. Uh, chapter 4, follow Christ-like examples. Keep going to chapter 5. In chapter 5, practice purifying church discipline, which they weren't doing, and they allowed a man to have his, his, um, live with his mother-in-law and uh, overlook that, and that was sin, and they had to practice church discipline. In chapter 5, they had to please Jesus with their bodies, and uh, avoiding immorality and the lifestyle that they enjoyed before salvation, uh, tried to enjoy before salvation. And then they're using their body for, uh, for Christ and the glory of God. Verse chapter 7, using our bodies for him and others in marriage. And whether you're married or whether you're single, you're always using your body for him. And then chapter 8, using your bodies privately to sacrifice for others. And now in chapter 9, we'll see that Paul, the apostle, given his stature in Christianity, could lay down his rights. If he could lay down his rights instead of demand or exercise them. We hear a lot of people today saying, I demand my rights. You need to know your rights, and you need to hold on to your rights, and you fight for your rights. Well, this isn't ex- not that we need to be just laying, giving up all of our freedoms. I don't, I don't think that. Uh, but I do think that in, in Christianity... We don't need to claim our rights that we're free in Christ. Now we can live however we want to live. And we can eat whatever we want to eat, was in particular here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Let's look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 9. If others share this rightful claim that they're able to uh, marry and plant crops and reap material things, have a, have a job to provide for their needs. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not even we more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Nothing gets in the way of us and sharing the gospel of Christ. And if there's anything, especially our rights, that we're holding on to, 
And I heard an interesting conversation that people today, their primary identity is political. And you don't have to listen to people very long before you realize whether they watch CNN or Fox News, whether they're Republican or Democrat. It usually comes, it's usually the first thing people identify themselves as, conservative or liberal or whatever label you want to give. Um, and this should not be so as Christians. Our identity is not Fox News or anybody you like to watch on Fox News or conservative radio. Our identity is not in a political party. It never has been and it never will be. All Democrats and all Republicans need to turn from their sin and trust Jesus alone as their Savior. And some probably in both parties have. And we don't do ourselves a favor to talk merely about politics. And I know that's what the world wants to talk about. And if you watch the news, that's what you want to talk about too. Uh, but we have to read our Bibles, and there are bigger things in politics. Because the Bible talks very little about the Roman Empire. And that was the dominant political thing that's going on in Corinth and around the known world. And uh, we hardly see any of any political things. And Jesus did not come as a politician. He came as a sacrifice. So we discipline our bodies. We sacrifice ourselves and our rights so that people will come to Christ. If you had someone, a neighbor that was very, very different than you politically, could you talk to them kindly about the things of the Lord? Would you care about their family more than who they voted for or who they're going to vote for in the next election? We need to lay down our rights. And if someone comes to you and they're getting, you're getting to know them and you have them over for a meal, you better realize if they're vegan or not. And don't offer them meat because you're going to offend them. And so this is just practically how we think about nothing comes between us and the gospel. The gospel is offensive enough. We know that to a culture who does not want to hear that they're sinners and they're on the way to hell and they need a savior. We don't need to be offensive ourselves with how we share the gospel or not willing to lay down our rights. And Paul says, I will, I will endure anything, verse 12, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. If that's not where you're at, that's where you need to be. Here's an example of someone who had the right, had all these rights as an apostle, and he willingly gave them up and endured a lifestyle that was different than what he wanted, than what he rightfully could claim, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 19 for though I am free from all, I have made myself a, the word there is slave, a slave to all, that I might win more of them. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all. Well, this is very countercultural. It was in Paul's day, and it is in our day. It's always going to be countercultural. No one wants to be a slave. But choosing to be a slave, that is Christianity. Choosing to be a slave so that I might win more of them. And then verse 27. 
He talks, this is a common, uh, we, we know verses uh, 24 to 27, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What is he talking about in this chapter? He's talking about self-discipline. Discipline is the ability to say no to yourself and you follow the no. You don't excuse yourself to, well, I can still do this. It's the, I got a gym membership and I'm paying this money so I need to get out of bed and go to the gym. That's what it's like. That's discipline. And we watched in... um, all the athletes that are extremely disciplined to be an, an Olympic athlete, to be the best in the world, you have to have probably more than a decade of discipline, hours upon hours upon hours of training and eating right and sleeping right and doing everything you can to keep your body in perfect condition. Why? So you can get a gold medal. That's it. Well, here is what Paul says. I do all these things, but I don't do it aimlessly. I discipline my body, verse 27, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's going to talk in chapter 10 about how the Israelites were disqualified. So we tell our bodies no for the best prize of seeing people come to Christ. Chapter 10, using our bodies for ourselves is such a strong temptation. It is in the Corinthian culture, and it is today. Use your body for yourself. When you get married, it's for yourself. Your spouse is for you. When you're a parent, you use your kids for you. When you're a child, you use your parents and your grandparents and anyone else, aunts and uncles, for you. And that's not Christianity. That's the world's philosophy. Here's here's the world. Here is... Christian, use your bodies for your, is, we give it, not use our bodies for ourselves. We don't give in to this temptation. This chapter gives bad examples and good examples in regard to temptation. When we give in to temptation, we will complain against God who provides. That's what the Israelites are doing as they are in the Old Testament, an example for us. We could read uh, the beginning of chapter 10. And the Corinthians knew some of the Old Testament. They probably knew this as Paul's telling them and taught them and said to them, do not complain against the one who provides for you. God is the one who provides for all Christians. Don't complain to God. We think someone else would do a better job with providing for us. And often we put ourselves in the place of God. This thinking is idolatry. We learn from others' sins by not following our desires away from God, but trusting Him to help us escape idolatry. We'll read just verses 13 and 14. Chapter 13 is one of the best verses for temptation in, in the New Testament, and I would encourage you all to memorize it as I did when we preached through this. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but that is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. You see this word endurance again and again and again in chapter 9, in chapter 10. It's about staying faithful to God. You see it in in Hebrews 
that we endure by keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. And so chapter, uh, verse uh, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Anything that we look at in the place of God is an idol. After people come to Christ. So chapter 9 was, I don't want to put anything in the place so that I can give the gospel and people will trust Christ. I'll give up any of my rights so that I can win people to Christ. Chapter 10, though, is after people come to Christ, we still tell our bodies no so that God and others are pleased. Let's go back, guys, to the uh, 9 through 12, and we'll stay on there until I get to chapter 13. So after people come to Christ, we still tell our bodies no. So as we give the gospel, we tell our bodies, our bodies no. It's not about us. It's about winning people to Christ. And after we uh, see them come to Christ, we have them over to our house, and we're discipling them, and we're still telling our bodies no. Why? Because you may have people that were used to offering meat, or used to offering meat uh, to idols, and then eating part of that meat as a fellowship with you and that idol. And if you have that person who is newly saved in your house, and you're willing to, because you know the idol's nothing, they don't know it yet because it's still it's too close of a connection for them. That you say, you know what? I'm still not going to eat that meat because I still think that's going to help them to go back and thinking this is still connects me to this weird fellowship that I have with demons and other worship, and I just don't want that uh, to go down that road. So we need to stay disciplined after people come to Christ so that God and others are pleased. It's not about us. And look at verses 31 to uh, chapter 11, 1. So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the glory of God here is not causing people to sin so that people can see God's glory with your willingness to say no to yourself. So whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If we were to watch Christ's life, he did as perfectly. When he came, he would not offend people with what he ate or what he drank, and yet tried to please them so that they would trust him as Savior. And Paul's following in Christ's footsteps, and as we look at Paul, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And whenever you and I will say no to ourselves for people to get saved and people to walk with Christ, you are a good example in a church that we can put new believers and believers who need to trust Christ or need to walk with Christ as, as babies in Christ. We can put them with you. We can encourage them to go to your house and be discipled by you so that we, we know that they're going to see God's glory through your life and you're willing to say no to yourself. Because that's the mind of Christ. That's here the mind of Paul. We have examples to follow. Chapters 11 to 14 uh, will gather to worship. So chapters 8 to 10 was private uh, devotion to God, using our bodies privately, now publicly. As we gather as God's people, what do, how do we use these bodies? Well, if we're privately thinking, our body's not mine, it's bought with a price, I glorify God with my body, and I'm thinking that privately, I have people over, I change my diet or what we drink just so I don't offend anyone. When I gather as God's people, I'm still thinking that. I'm still thinking this body's not mine, 
I'm want, I don't want to offend people around me. I'm going to use my body in the body of Christ uh, corporately as we gather as God's people so that when I worship him, it's not about me. This is a culture that we want to continue. As If you join our church, we have a new members class that we talk about the culture of our church, and part of the culture of our church is worship. And worship is not about us. It's not about what we like, what songs we like, what songs we don't like, the style that we want. Uh, whatever we do in worship, it's not really about us. You know who it's about? It's about him. And if we're thinking that way privately, when we come to worship, we'll be thinking that way corporately together. The Corinthians weren't thinking about it that way, so the ladies um, needed some instruction about submission to their husbands uh, publicly in the first part of chapter 11, and then in the second part of chapter 11, they, the, their um, way to celebrate the Lord's table was a disaster. So as we gather to worship our glorious God together, we want to reflect our submission to him. Our dress should reflect a heart of submission to God and others. Our celebration of the Lord's table is definitely an opportunity to use our bodies to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we think our worship is about us, let's see what God promised to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. God will judge. Verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. So God will punish his children. He punished the Corinthians. Some of them were weak and ill, and it says in the end of verse 30, some of you have died. Some people died prematurely because they where so worship is about me, I don't care what my brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't even care if it's the Lord's table, it's still about me, and God took them off of this earth prematurely. And now Paul's saying, when those people died, this is why they died. Because they, like Hophni and Phinehas in 1 Samuel, they blaspheming God, where worship and even the Lord's table was about them, and it's not. The Lord's table is remember Christ and him. And definitely not take advantage of your brothers and sisters in Christ as you gather together. So let it be obvious to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we gather to worship Christ. It's not about us. It's about him. And then chapter 12. We read a good part of chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. Why does God give spiritual gifts? Because it's about him. And he puts all of us together in a body and we suffer and rejoice Together, we are to use our gifts for the body of Christ. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. That there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When worship is about you, and people are suffering, you don't care. When worship is about you and people are rejoicing in how God used them and how maybe they saw someone come to Christ through their ministry, you don't care. All you're concerned about is when you suffer, you want everyone to know. When you're rejoicing, you want everyone to know. But this isn't how the body functions. Of course we as a body want to know, but you're not the center of the body. 
You're not the head. Neither am I. It's all about Christ. And so as we look at the body around us, and this is why it's important for us to gather together as God's people, because rejoicing together and suffering together works really well whenever we're together. We need to watch people as they come. Watch people that have a heavy heart and walk with them, listen to them, sit with them, and weep with them. And those who are rejoicing, they're coming in and they're on cloud nine. And they are smiling and they just got a job promotion. They just got engaged. They just got a new house. They just got whatever, really, really good news. And they come in and they want others to rejoice with them. You'll be the one, even if you're suffering, you're noticing people that are rejoicing and you're able to look past your suffering and see there is a brother or sister in Christ who wants to tell someone some good news. And you, hey, looks like you had a good week. Can you tell me about it? And we rejoice with them. Suffer and rejoicing together both require humility. And as we recognize God's sovereignty in putting the body of Christ together here, as this chapter encourages us to see, we can be confident of our place in the body and our responsibility to suffer and rejoice together. It's not an accident that you were saved. It's not an accident that you were born here, that you're in our church at this time in uh, 2022. God wants you to use your body for the body in this way. Suffer and rejoice together. Chapter 13, everybody knows chapter 13 as what? The love chapter. How does the body function together? This is great for marriages. This is good for parenting. This is good for friendship. This is good for coworkers. This is good for every time you talk with another sinner. You know what the other sinner needs from you? They need love. Even if they're your enemy, what did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Oh, yeah. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So this kind of love, and love is a, a word that's tossed around. It's got several different definitions, and it could be romantic. It could be uh, brotherly love, and it could be self-sacrificing love, as is in 1 Corinthians 13. But we can't define love and how we think love is. Hollywood doesn't get to define love. God, the creator, defines love, and this is what it looks like, verses 4 to eight. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Instead of needlessly comparing ourselves in the body, which the Corinthians were doing at the end of chapter 12. We should be busy following a more excellent passion. You know what all of our passion needs to be? Loving one another. As we talk to people, we get their passion for their hobby, for their relationships, for their, their career, for their vacation, for anything else. But what should come through eventually in a conversation with another believer is they are passionate to show love to one another. This is how we use this body to build up the body of Christ. This is what everybody needs, love, this kind of love. This is how we suffer and rejoice with people 
because we're thinking this way. Love like your Savior. This is a picture of exactly how Jesus loved perfectly when he was on earth. Go back, you can, you can compare this with his life, whether it was a woman caught in adultery, whether it was little children who were trying to be brushed away by the, uh, by the um, disciples, or a thief on a cross next to him. This is love. So we love like your Savior. And how long do we do that? Well, verse 8 says, love never ends. And verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And when I preach this, I said it's greatest because faith and hope aren't required in heaven. We don't need faith and hope in heaven, but love will continue for all eternity. We will love our Savior perfectly forever and ever. You will love your brother and sister Christ. Even if they annoy you right now, you're going to love them perfectly in heaven. Learn to love them more like Christ on earth. That's how you're going to use this body to strengthen the body. Chapter 14 gives us the word edify several times. We'll look at those times in uh, verses uh, 3 to 5. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue or another language builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. This is building up the church. If you were, um, I remember Gronk coming out of retirement, and all of you know Gronk. I think he lost weight. He was around the 240s, but they said to be a tight end in the NFL, you have to be in the 260s. You know what Gronk had to do? He had to build his body back up. He had to add muscle and weight because a tight end in the NFL has to weigh a certain amount so that he can stop the guys getting to the quarterback and then break tackles if he catches the ball. If... If you want to have a strong body, you have to build it up. Eat right, sleep right, and then exercise. God wants a strong body for his son, who is the head, a body that is loving, a body that's suffering and caring. And what he does here in 1 Corinthians 14 is say that God's truth given through God's people is meant to build up the body. So as people gather together to worship, when they hear God's truth, the truth is coming in and they hear it in their own language. They're being built up. They're being strengthened. This is God's plan for the church. This is why we gather together as God's people, so that we're built up every week. Verse 12 also uses this idea of build up. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. So our question is, will this help the church be built up? Will this help my church be stronger? Am I using my body to edify? The other word for edify is build up others. Why is this? Well, the end of the chapter tells us so that people can see God's peace and God's order. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And he was saying, if everybody gets up and speaks in other languages and they don't have any, uh, no one to interpret and you have chaos in your, in, your, um, in your worship services, you're confusing the world that 
you serve a really strange God and no one can really understand him. It's confusing. But it says here, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Orderly worship magnifies God. It builds up the church and it magnifies God's glory. Look at, at the very last verse. But in all things, all things should be done decently and in order. Old Testament, New Testament. Israel was supposed to worship God in an orderly way so that the nation would see God's wisdom and come and worship Israel, come and Israel. Israel's God with them. So it is in the New Testament. We are to worship in such a way that the world comes to church and they watch a orderly, uh, not confused, not chaotic, an orderly gathering of people who care for one another, who love one another, and they're concerned about showing people what God is like. And we're, we're willing to say no to ourselves so that the body is strengthened and the body shows the world that God is a God of peace and order. Chapter 15, we spent a lot of time in chapter 15, and so I'm going to summarize it quickly. The good news that Christ died and rose again is the theme of our message. The resurrection of our Savior is our hope that one day these weak bodies will be raised in power. Chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And if you are serving God with this body, and this body is wearing out, and you say, I wish I had more energy to give to the body of Christ, but this body needs more sleep. This body needs medicine. This body needs healing. This body needs more, and I have more desire to give, and this body is running down. And you know what? Life is not meant to last forever in these physical bodies. We tell people, even in these weak bodies, we're not living for this life. We're living for the next. We're using all the energy God's given us with this body to lay up treasure in heaven, to teach people about Christ and to give the gospel. And at the center of the gospel is Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And his rising again the third day is our hope. And as we hope, we ought to abound in the work of the Lord. Verse 42 and 43. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And because we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are victorious... In this body, and definitely, as these bodies wear out, we're, we're anticipating a victory that's going to come when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And if our bodies are in the ground, we're going to be part of that. We're going to be raptured, taken off of this earth to be with the Lord, and we're ever going to be with Him. Therefore, my beloved brothers, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The job, that's the, word, the first word, work there. The job, the task God has for us is to speak of our Savior. Knowing that in the Lord, our labor, that's hard work where we're sweating. This is only possible to sweat in these bodies. Our glorified bodies, I don't think we're going to sweat. We're not going to get tired. We're not going to need medicine. I don't think we're going to need sleep. That, that just blows our mind to think that so much of our world is focused on these bodies, but yet the next world is what we're living for. And as we're living for that, we're using these bodies to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. You don't know when God's done with you. If you can breathe, you can pray. And you need to be praying. If you have physical abilities, you need to walk around, meet people, talk to your neighbors, get to know your coworkers, abound in the Lord's work, talk to them of our great Savior. And then finally, chapter 16, we boldly love and submit to godly leaders. Finally, these bodies can abound in the Lord's work while looking around to, uh, to save in order to meet the needs of other believers. That's how Paul ends his book here. We should be greatly encouraged that while we have the same tendencies of our Corinthian brothers, we also have the same potential to be bold in our faith with love while submitting to godly leaders. We'll read verses uh, 13 to the end of the chapter, then we'll apply this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints, be subject to, the, to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they made up for your absence, but they refresh my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. That's across the channel from modern-day Turkey to modern-day Greece. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings. And the Lord, Aquila and Priscilla at this time are in Ephesus, but they, Paul met them first in, a, in Corinth. And we see that in Acts 18. They send hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And in our uh, new members class, I say that this is probably cultural. And so we don't expect you to be part of our church to greet everybody with a holy kiss. If that's part of your culture, that's fine, but not really part of New England culture, all right? We're fine with a handshake, all right? Verse 21, I, Paul, with, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. That is a remarkable verse. If someone has no love for the Lord... You know, he's not saying he's going to lose his salvation to be accursed. What he's saying is he already is accursed. The church is just recognizing people who have no love for the Lord are not part of the church. They ha- How do we know if they have love for the Lord? Well, they love their brothers also, First John says. And that matches with what we see in this book about having bold love for, and that's how we abound in the work of the Lord. 
So if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Sounds very similar to the end of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Our Lord, come. And the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. We have the same potential to be bold in our faith with love while submitting to godly leaders. Boldly love and submit to godly leaders. As we conclude our message, this book is about using our body for the body in unity with holiness and truth. We'll go to our last slide. Amen. And I'll ask uh, three men to come and pray for us. And here is the prayer uh, structure that we will use. The first man, I already asked Shane. I need two other men. Uh, John Webster, would you be the second prayer? And John Sparkman be the third prayer? Okay. So the first prayer, and you can pray this silently in your pew as these men come to lead us. Father, help us to discipline our bodies so that others follow Christ. The reason we discipline our bodies is for the purpose of other people following Christ. Second, Lord, help us to use our bodies to love and build your church. And then, uh, finally, God, help us to use our bodies to abound in your work. And this is taken from our text from 1 Corinthians uh, 9 through 16. All right, Shane, if you'll come, and we will close our time in prayer and then 